Welcome to Leadership is No Accident. I'm Andy Robbins from Oyster, the leadership development company. In each episode, leaders from all kinds of backgrounds share their leadership stories. We explore what got them started, what they learned along the way, and what ultimately fueled them to achieve their goals. We explore this and a whole lot more so you can take your leadership game to the next level. My guest on today's episode is Amobi Akugo. Amobi is a professional soccer player whose career has included stints with some of the best teams in Major League Soccer. In previous episodes, I focused on leadership in a business context, and it was great to explore with Amobi how leadership in sports and business overlap. Amobi talks about leadership on the field, on a team, and what makes a great coach. We wrap up our conversation talking about Amobi's latest venture, the Frugal Athlete a platform designed to help players grow their personal finance proficiency. Well, that's enough from me. Let's hear from Amobi. Hey, Amobi, it's great to see you. And thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, It's always a pleasure to connect with you. And thank you for having me. I know this is a, a long time coming. Yeah, well, I've really been looking forward to it. You know, so you know, I want to start really around uh, maybe your journey to get you to where you are today. So, you know, you've played professional soccer at the highest levels in the U.S. And, you know, you currently play for Austin Bold FC in the United Soccer League. For many kids and people, that's kind of their life's dream to be able to do something like you've done. Was that always your dream? And I'd love to just start with what was your journey to get here? Yeah, I mean, I always dreamed of being a professional athlete. I wouldn't say professional soccer was like the initial dream. I mean, I grew Uh up like in the 90s, even though I was like little. Michael Jordan was like who everyone wanted to be. So I wanted to be a professional basketball player. Growing up, Nigerian-American soccer and basketball, soccer especially is like the number one sport. So I grew up playing soccer and basketball until soccer kind of took over. I was fortunate enough at a young age to have, you know, have quite a bit of talent and uh, get recognized for that talent. So I was part of youth national team programs, you know, had traveled all over the world before I was even, you know, 18, old enough to vote, to compete and, you know, play at the highest level, you know, with the youth national teams got invited to residency, but ultimately led me to a scholarship at UCLA. So I say all that to say is that like, it kind of just like led itself. It wasn't like, you know, my parents were like, you're going to go to the best trainers. You're right. going to do this. You're going to do that. It was just like, you know, you're playing soccer. You started out with your school team, you know, luckily a helpful parent that knew kind yeah. of the, the system suggested to my parents that, you know, your, your son is a little bit better he should probably be playing competitive. So they took me to competitive and then another parent or another, like your son is pretty good. He should do this. And then from there, it just kind of all happened so fast. And while we're young, just like we go to the tournaments, we have fun, but I wouldn't, I would say 
my sophomore year, and that's when it really changed when I had, when I moved to Florida mm-hmm. for re- the residency program. And that's when it was like, okay, this is going to be like the avenue if I'm really serious about it and want to go pro. So that's that. Yeah, it kind of just it kind of I can say like it wasn't like intentional that yeah. you're going to be a professional soccer player. It just happened, and it's it's still still happening to this day. <laughs> well, it it is, and you know you've been playing, you know. Yeah, really an extensive career over a number of years, you know, and the sort of perspective that I think it's, I really want to explore here is, you know, I do a lot of work with leadership in business. You know, you've had a long career at some of the highest levels in, you know, professional soccer in the US. So, you know, you've been really living this sort of professional athlete world. I'm really curious to learn about your perspective on leadership, you know, in sport. What does, what does leadership look like for a professional soccer player? No, that's a great question. You know, I think growing up, the leader was usually the captain. It's usually like probably the, the better player on the team or one of the best players on the team. But as I've gotten older and like throughout my professional career, I've been able to be around a lot of leaders. And I think the biggest thing around leadership is, you know, the guy or gal or whatever sports you play or individual is the one that can be someone that you can count on. At least, Hmm. you know, from a from a leadership standpoint, from a teammate standpoint, there's always that one guy you can count on. And that's usually the leader, someone that they can confide in, someone that they're willing to go the extra mile for. Whereas obviously, you know, have leaders that are like more experienced, you have leaders that like are more smart, have all the necessary certifications or whatever it may have you. But when it comes to sports, it's the, the, the leader is the one that can get the guys around a certain cause or like to get them to go an extra mile. In my, in my humble opinion, you know, being able to play for so long. Got it. So I mean, I, that's fascinating what you say there, because you know, my, my definition of leadership, and certainly from a business context, is leaders declare a future that others commit to achieve. And what you just talked about there is, you know, the leader on the team is the player that can get everybody else to come along and maybe achieve the goal that's been set out. And exactly, because obviously in sports, you have like, as we like to call like the rah-rah guys, the ones that are going to like, you know, yell before the game, like, let's go, let's like, let's go. Like, and then you got the guys that, you know, that have done it. Like they've been in the game for a long time, have seen a lot, but the true leaders when it comes to the soccer pitch or sports for that matter, are the ones that are like, yo, let's lock in boys. Like we need, we need this win and everyone's going to fall in line or, you know, the locker room, it's just like, sometimes you go through wins, you go through losses. So there's a, like a, it's a roller coaster of a season, but the, the leader leads by example is able to have the young boys trust the older guys trust everyone's trust in the sense of like, you know, I know if I'm playing bad, I can always count on this leader to have my back or he's going to, he's going to run for me or he's going to, you know, he's going to sponsor me in the sense of like, he's going to stick his neck out to protect me. And especially in sports and when it's like a dog eat dog world and there's natural competition yeah. even outside of sport, but within a team too, because everyone's fighting for spots, a leader is going to be able to, to, you know, rise above that and, you know, 
be build the team together. Got it. You know, and you're talking about, you know, a team perspective. And obviously from a soccer perspective and many other, you know, sports, the team has to be bigger than the individuals on it. Yeah. I'm curious, what does leadership look like from a team perspective on the field? You know, there are some teams that clearly have something and there are other teams that don't really seem like a team. And, and you've played, you know, as I say, a number of different clubs and teams over there, many, many. What really stands out for you of those teams that, that really gelled? What, what was it about those? No, that's a great point, because, like, I feel like if you watch enough sports, you can tell, like, all right, that team has good leadership. That team has good chemistry versus, all right, that team's in disarray. Like, they're bickering at each other. They're not on the same page. Uh, so for me, when it comes to, you know, how leadership it to coincides with team and, like, what makes a good team, it's that camaraderie, that unit, like, it's it's not one person doing one thing. It's like when you think of a car, everything has like its own function. You got the engine, you got the steering wheel, you got the tires, you got the seats, you got the dashboard. And I feel like the same way when it comes to a team, everyone knows their role, everyone embraces their role and everyone figures out a way to provide and participate and protect their role within in relation to the team. I know you talked about there's no I in team. The yeah. team is the star. And I think the best teams realize that, that if the team does well, the individuals will stand out as well too. Whereas teams that don't do well, it's like, all right, they're so focused on their individual selves that they may do well, but the team suffers for it. And, you know, it doesn't work out to their liking. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm an England fan, so. Uh, oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> and we're Apologies. recording this. A week after England's loss in the European Championships final. And by the way, I'm, I'm pragmatic about it. The team did incredibly well. And, uh, yeah. you know, to me, there's good things ahead. But That's you know, it's, it's kind of an example of a team with, I would say, great spirit. But then something goes wrong. And, you know, I'm curious on the teams that you've been on. I'm sure you've been in the, that same situation where, Let's say a player's made a big mistake or, you know, you're on a, I don't know, a losing streak or something. What have you seen around those great teams and how they rally round and what, what makes them a great team in times of adversity? I think they take responsibility and accountability. They put, they, they put, they put the stress and the pressure on their shoulders, whereas it's easy to blame uh, the person that was at fault. You know, in England case, you know, the, the, the people that missed the PK, but the great teams, the great leaders are like, no, this was a team effort. We win as a team, we lose as a team. And they're able to take the bullets, you know, for the, for the, I don't want to say the lesser yeah. the teammates or the lesser role players, but they're able to take the bullets. They'll take those hits at the expense of the greater good of the team. And you don't see that a lot in sports today, you know, people sacrificing themselves at the expense of a team. You know, but when you do, you 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 find you know, like those teams are the ones that will you know fight till the end and usually bounce back more often than not. Yeah, and I think you're touching on something so important there, which is resiliency. Mm -hmm. You know, and I see the same thing in business that things aren't always going to go your way, but the resiliency and your ability to bounce back 
absolutely critical. And as you, I think what you're touching on there is, is spot on in terms of a great team is resilient and able to overcome those, those issues. Exactly. And this is going to be a big test for that England team in terms of are they going to be able to recover? And I, I certainly hope they do. Yeah. I mean, if you look over the last, you know, three, yeah, three, four years, you know, they went to the World Cup semifinals. They went to yeah. the Euro finals. So it, it's a testament to their team as a whole and the leadership amongst, you know, the team. So it should be interesting if they if they can move forward or if this is like kind of like the tipping point of them you know, hopefully fall, not, I don't want to say hopefully, but possibly falling, yeah. falling down. Sure. Sure. Time will tell. Yeah. Uh, time will tell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's no free lunch. <laughs> uh, so we've talked a lot about, and I really appreciate your perspectives of what it's like from a player point of view. You know, it's kind of fascinating with, let's say sports teams but they tend to have a coach and that's a little bit different than a business team where the leader of the business team is really a member of the team. You know, yeah. there isn't somebody separate that is the coach of the team. And, you know, you have played under some of the best coaches in the game, you know, for sure. I'm curious from your perspective, with that variety of coaches that you've played under, what makes a good coach? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Because, you know, I've had a lot of good coaches and I've had a lot of okay coaches and then a lot of not so great coaches. Mm. I think the best ones are the ones that keep it direct, keep it open, keep it honest, keep it transparent. Obviously, a coach, they're going to have like their starting 11 or their, their marquee guys that they're going to play. But the coaches that have been able to, you know, get the most out of the group, are the ones that are the ones that treat every player the same way, like on the field. So if the, if the best player on the team makes a mistake and your style of coaching is like you're getting into, you know, a guy it has to be the same for that guy and versus, you know, the 18th man on the roster. And obviously there's different styles around it because certain players respond a certain way, but yeah. that's, that it's not to say like, all right, you coddle this one and, don't acknowledge their mistake and then you go into someone hard you know you're treating everyone with the same amount of respect you're able to be transparent about how you go about your decisions amongst everyone so it's not like you know there's clicks and stuff like that and then the best coaches have a have a system you know they have a system they have processes they have a way of going about creating a culture whether that's team building exercises, whether that's, you know, finding the right personality of players to fit within your team. I, I, and I, I feel like the best coaches are also no nonsense. You know, they're really disciplined in how they go about, you know, different actions within the, within the locker room, within the, with, over the course of a season. So I think that's it from like the, the best coaches that I've had. They've done a great job of that. Yeah. So I'd love to explore some of those things that you mentioned because they're kind of perking my interest here of yeah. ooh, they're kind of there's some similarities. You know, one of the things you mentioned there was, you know, they have different styles and I see mm -hmm. leaders in business with different leadership styles. You know, what what sort of, you know, what are the 
common styles that you see with different kind of coaches? Is there a, is there a predominant style or are there like very different ones that get different, different uh, results? Yeah, there's different ones that get different results. I'll, I'll give you a scenario. So like my first coach, like coming before, uh, as I went pro, he was like more intense, you know, really smart coach, but he was just intense, like really high intensity at all times, high level, have to be on top of your game. Yeah. But he was good on the field. But when it came to like the interpersonal relationships, he may have not been the best in terms of how he treated, you know, player one from player two, from player 10, from player 18. Yeah. So there was a lot of, I don't want to say disarray within the locker room, just yeah. because he created that environment on top of the high intensity training, on top of like the high t- stakes as it pertained to soccer. A coach that I had for a short amount of time, because I wasn't really on a team, I was just training and trialing. He was also high intensity, but the way he went about it was he was high intensity in the sense of competition. So he would bring people together through competition within the practices, within the film study, within everything. And he was able to bring that high intensity environment, but also keeping it friendly, open, honest, you know, engaging. And how he treated the players is that, you know, anyone can come to him with problems. It wasn't just if you're starting, then you could talk. If you're an academy kid that was training with the first team, you were part of the first team for at least that day. So you were going to be treated like a first team player. So he was able to create this team environment because he gave each and every player responsibility. And I think the best leaders are the ones that do that or the best coaches. Yeah. And, you know, if you're a bench player and you're not playing that much, but your coach is giving you that responsibility to make you feel involved, to make you feel included, to, you know, show that you matter, you, you, are, you tend to do more for that coach because you, you can't fault him. He's done everything. He's being open and honest with you. You're just not in his immediate plans at the moment, maybe because someone beat your spot or you just don't fit with the style right now, but you can't be completely upset about that because you know he's honest and he's he's in your corner yeah well you know it's again it's fascinating what you're sharing there because i really wasn't sure if there was going to be similarities or really big differences between let's say business and sport but what you're highlighting there is you know you know a leader gets to know you know the people in, in the team the people mm-hmm. that they're they're leading, you know, personally. And I've had leaders that I've worked with who've spent a lot of time investing in just getting to know me and family, et cetera, you know, and being clear on, you know, giving feedback about how, how we're doing and, but being respectful in that and building that sort of trust. So, I mean, it, very, very, very similar to, you know, the business world. One of the things, one of the areas that I see a lot of leaders struggle with from the business perspective or the business world is accountability mm-hmm. and holding people accountable on their team to get results. And I imagine, you know, on the top teams, you know, there's not much margin for error here. You know, you're really stretching. You want to be your absolute best. What's your perspective on accountability in teams and, and what do the best coaches do to maintain a culture of accountability? Now, I think you bring up a great point. And I think 
when you talk about like the relationship and synergy around, you know, sports and business, I think that's why a lot of athletes, if they can transition properly, they, they do well in business as it pertains to accountability. I think sports naturally allows for it because it's a results oriented business. It's, you know, numbers lie, players lie, the, the yeah. film doesn't, the film never lies, you know? Right. So if, if something happens on the field, you can see it, you can analyze it. And at the expense of, you know, if you win three points, if you lose zero points, if you tie one point. So you base it off that. So the players are already accountable for themselves. So it's easier for a coach to say like, hey, we haven't been getting these results. We're going to have to make some changes. Or, you know, you're forward, you know, that the top forwards are scoring 10 plus goals a season. You only scored four. Like, what's going on? Is it a style of play? Like, you're not fitting the system. What is it me? Is it you? Like, how do we figure that out? And then from there, we can analyze because we have metrics. And then in terms of like from the coaching standpoint, and it's, it's unique, too, because if they don't do well, if the players don't do well, then it's a reflection of the coach and the coach will get fired too. So yeah. he has to like kind of transfer that accountability to everybody. It's, it's a unique, I would never be a coach because it's a unique situation, you know, cause you're not on the field, but you're helping set up, you're training them, you're developing them, you're trying to bring them right pieces together and they can still lose, they can still make mistakes. But that's what's so great about sports is that everyone makes mistakes. It's how you bounce back. So I think it naturally, it naturally forces or it naturally invites accountability. It's just how, how, how you go about it. Like, are you like more constructive criticism type of coach? Are you more like lay it out on the line, open and honest? Are you, you know, hard, like high intensity, hard? And how are you conducive to your team and how you go about presenting that accountability? Got it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's critical. And what I'm hearing is, you know, the best coaches are very clear with expectations but they're giving a lot of feedback. And as you're highlighting, there's a lot of feedback, film, et cetera. And I know that data is just taken off. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's probably been a huge change, you know, over the 10, 10 plus years in your career. Oh, yes. From when I first started to now, it's, it's, been, a, it's been an absolute game changer. And I think that helps, you know, when it comes to coaches and staff to like, you know, analyze, you know, accountability. If you're if you're getting injured and the data shows that it's because you're not recovering well, there's there's really no excuses. And if you're if your team's losing because you guys are giving up goals in the final five minutes of games, like there's more evidence and data to show like, all right, these are the weak points of our team. This is the weak points of your your performance. And how can we make improvements or is it something that's already is too late to it's too late to fix well, I think being able to get that feedback and, and maybe that is one of the differences in the business world. Well, you know, I was just thinking that maybe it's a little harder in the business world, but not necessarily. There's obviously a lot of sources of data there where you get feedback about how you're how you're performing. Yeah. One other area I'd love to sort of explore again, which is a little bit of a contrast between, let's say, a professional sports team and a business. You know, you've been a you've been playing in MLS. You know, you played you you started in MLS, I think, in 2010. Mm-hmm. So you've played you played over 150 games. You know, over a period of seven years for five clubs. So if I was in 
like working for companies, as it were, and I had worked for five different companies in seven years, it would kind of be a little bit unusual. I'd be jumping around quite a lot. Yeah. But from a professional sports standpoint, I mean, that's not unusual. And the dynamic, I think, is very different because you're under contract and you don't really have a say as my guess. And maybe I'm curious on your view here of, you know, you can get traded. You can be moved yeah. to a different team at any time. And, you know, we talked about, you know, a great team has this camaraderie and yet, Every one of you knows that you could be shipped out and traded to a different team at any time. How do you how do you deal with that as a as a professional in terms of being committed and yet being realistic that you might be playing for a different team next week? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, over the course of my career, you know, you, you think like, all right, you're going to play for one club your whole career. But then you see you know, teammates get traded and then you end up signing new contracts and then you get traded. So it's like, oh, wow. Uh, but from the standpoint of being a soccer player and understanding what comes along with sports, tomorrow's never promised, mm-hmm. you know? So that, that knowing that mindset is like, all right, new team wants me. Yeah, I could sulk and I could figure out why they're trying to trade me. Is it for money? Is it because of my play? Is it because of this? That doesn't matter. You, you're on, you're focused to the next company. You're not focused to the next team. And what's interesting about you know sports in the United States, or at least soccer in the United States, from an MLS perspective, is that there's single. It's a single entity. So essentially, you you're playing for the league, and ah, the, the, yeah. the clubs are franchises under the league. So yes, you're playing for a different club, and you're moving. But at the end of the day, you're still getting paid from MLS. Whereas you know players overseas. They're playing for different ownership groups and, you know, yeah. different, you know, it's a whole stand, different standard of how one team does something from the other. Whereas MLS, yeah, there's different, you know, nuances to different teams and probably different routines. But when it comes to like, you know, at the end of the day, the MLS is going to take care of you from the standpoint of, you know, just like logistics and different things like that. Yeah. You know, and I, 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 your perspective is, I, I think, very, very revealing here. Of to me, I guess what you're talking about here is about being a professional. Okay. Oh this, yeah. This this week I'm playing for this team, and then I get traded next month. And okay, I'm playing for the next team, and I'm yeah. a professional, and I I I bring my game. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, at the end of the day, there's millions of people that would love the opportunity to play professional soccer. And the way I look at it is that I've had the fortune and pleasure to play, you know, over the course of my career, 10 plus years, you know, for five different teams. So I've been able to experience five different locations, a whole set of different players, five different, you know, uh, coaching philosophies, you know, five different communities. And, you know, I wouldn't have been able to experience that had I not got traded or had I not signed a new contract. I think that's that's the one way you're going to look at it. And at the end of the day, yes, sports is a team sport. Soccer is a team sport. But and I, I don't want to say I don't want to sound too contradictory, but when you're done playing, it's always it's the next man up. So you got to look out for yourself at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I think you, you I mean, you have to do both. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be naive. <laughs> yeah. And yet you can also be a prima donna. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned something, Amobi, earlier, which I, I think is a perfect transition to 
beyond soccer, as it were, because I know you're, you're you're involved in a new venture and it's really exciting. You mentioned that sports is just a perfect preparation for leadership development and why a lot of sports people then go on to to form successful businesses or have successful careers in business. You know, some of my neighbors are ex-Portland Timbers who've had incredible post-playing careers. You know, you founded the Frugal Athlete, mm-hmm. and I'm going to read out the mission that you, you have on your website, the mission to help athletes make, manage, and multiply money through financial education and athlete empowerment. I mean, certainly a really, really worthwhile and bold mission. Tell me about that. I mean, that's that's a that's a big thing to set out here. It's a big vision. Ah, thank you. Yeah, you gotta have big goals. I, I think for me, it's all about how athletes can maximize the opportunity that they have. We're in a unique position. Obviously, we see the big time athletes, the Michael Jordans of the worlds, yeah. the LeBron James, the Serena Williams, the Tom Brady's, but not every athlete has that unique opportunity to be an anomaly. But as a professional athlete, especially, there's so many unique situations that you can find yourself in so many ways to be efficient, you know, just from the capital that you make through, through that time period and the resources that you have to really create a life of big impact and, you know, big opportunity. So that's kind of what I wanted to set out to do with the frugal athlete. And a lot of times when you, you know, at people see frugal, they're like, all right, we're teaching athletes how to be cheap. And that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, it's mm-hmm. all about how we can be efficient, economical, and prudent about our financials and our career decisions. Gotcha. So if I'm a professional athlete and, you know, I'm thinking about, hey, you know, what lies ahead, what would I get from the frugal athlete? How, how, how do you help uh, someone like me if I was a, you know, like a, you know, you know, a player thinking about the future? Uh, that's a great question. So through our media, because we do have a, a, a whole media arm where we have yeah. podcasts, written content, video content, we hope to share stories and content of other athletes that we, you know, that we like to consider role models, that we can apply the principles that they have experienced throughout their careers and based off the decisions that they've made, that you can go back and apply to your own personal financial playbook. And then another way is that we use our education. We provide curriculums, courses, templates where athletes can hopefully use and apply it for their own situation. So what does that look like? You know, if I wanted to start a podcast and I don't know where to start, we have a course and we have a template of all the things that you need, how to navigate, you know, building out a show. And once you build out a show, how can you monetize that? Or, you know, we have a course about rookie mistakes, you know, the 10 most common rookie mistakes that athletes make when they first come into money. So we we're coming through it from a uh, edutainment standpoint, yeah. and hopefully we can build out that piece. And then if anyone wants like one-on-one or group coaching, we do that as well. You know, we're not financial advisors, so we're not going to tell anyone what to invest in, tell people to consult with their financial teams and experts, but we will help you change your behavior around personal finance, money management, and career development, which is at the end of the day, when it comes to money, money is a behavior problem first and foremost. So if we can come at it from the the root level 
now they have a better knowledge base when they are working with higher level deals and more complex deals and, you know, getting deal flow and different things like that. Got it. So it sounds like this would be relevant for a player at different stages in their playing life cycle, as it were. Oh, exactly. So if you have a student athlete is interested in like trying to make an opportunity from name, image and likeness to a young athlete that's like trying to figure out how to navigate, you know, being a rookie and budgeting and, you know, making a significant amount of money to like a veteran in the game that's looking to transition and how to navigate turning their network into opportunities. The content that we provide, the resources that we provide fit every model. And what's good about athletes they're natural trendsetters. So if we're talking about financial literacy from an athlete perspective, individuals that are attracted to athletes will be able to apply the same principles. Maybe not at the level like LeBron James or Serena Williams, but there's certain financial principles that you can take and apply to your own personal financial playbook. Fantastic. Well, I got to say kudos to you because that is an act of leadership in itself of you're declaring a future and bringing others along with you. So that is terrific. Uh, thank you so much. That means a lot. Yeah. Well, I'm just curious. What was your motivation really for getting started? Was this something that you struggled with yourself? Is it something which is recognized as a, you know, a really common challenge for professional athletes? So for me, I, uh, I was really motivated after watching the 30 for 30 broke documentary mm. and the documentary highlighted like the financial fouls of professional athletes and their athletes in the NBA, the MLB, the NFL. And, you know, historically across the board, those are like the top athletes. They're making a lot of money compared to, you know, MLS at the time when I was playing yeah. soccer, like I was making good money, but I was going to have to work after I was done playing regardless. So when I saw these athletes, you know, struggle and I was like, okay, I need to double down. Who can I use as athlete role models to learn from? Because I don't want to learn from, you know, these people making their mistakes. And I researched and you would get the occasional article on Forbes or MarketWatch, but there wasn't like a, like a business insider for, you know, athlete money management moves. So I did more research and like, I kept finding LeBron James, Tom Brady, Kobe Bryant, rest in peace. Like, and I was like, I can't compare myself to them because they are anomalies. So I was like, all right, let me start a frugal athlete. You know, I'm selfishly curious about athletes that I could use as role models. So let me like do my own research around it. And it started out kind of as a passion project. And from there, you know, people started liking it because I was providing information around athletes that they had not neither heard about or even knew about. And like some of the deals that they were doing, whether it's real estate or entrepreneurship, you know, working on Wall Street top level athletes that you're wondering like, oh, what, what, what did he end up doing? Because for so long, it's either like, okay, you own restaurants, you own a car dealership, you get into coaching, you work for the team that you play for. But there's so many avenues outside of that. I feel like frugal athletes doing our small part in, you know, trying to change that narrative. Well, I love that because we can get very narrow in our thinking of what's available to us and you're Mm -hmm. opening up possibilities. And, you know, I kind of see a little bit of similarity to what you talked about with your growth from first wanting to be a professional athlete up through the years in soccer of, hey, it wasn't on a plate for you. You got better and better and applied yourself and got to the next level. And it sounds like this is a very similar thing. You started out with an idea. It's like a passion. 
yeah. you're getting a little better and better yeah. and then <laughs> along and it's like yeah. i can see a little bit of a theme uh, uh, thank you so much if i show you like a, a recording of my first ever podcast compared to now i've done almost over 200 podcasts now wow. uh you would be like that's not even the same guy so like you said it takes you know practice and reps and routines and like learning from you know individuals like yourself you know people that are way more experienced and smarter and then just applying and like always continue to evolve and iterate and kind of go from there yeah Wow, that sounds like a growth mindset to me that with application and discipline, we can get better at everything. We may not be the best, but we can get better. So oh, that, I love that. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I've got one last question for you. Um, and as, as you mentioned, you know, there are a lot of people who their dream is to be a professional soccer player, as it were, <laughs> or a professional athlete. You know, you've been there, you are there, you're doing it. And, you know, you're plotting out your path beyond that, which is, I got to say, really inspiring. What advice from where you are now, looking back, would you give yourself when you were younger thinking, hey, I want to go for this. I think I'll, I think I can become a professional athlete. Well, what advice do you have for yourself and somebody in that situation? Yeah, I would say fail forward. I think a lot of times a lot of people wait for the perfect moment. And I feel like I don't want to, I'm not trying to be generic in terms of like, you know, start now, but I would say fail forward. So whether you start now or tomorrow or whenever, don't be afraid to fail because you're, you're learning as you fail. And as long as you're failing forward and it's not, you know, discouraging you from continue to iterate, continue to evolve, you're going to be successful in whatever you do. And it may not be successful in the thing that you want to do, but you're going to get redirected into something that's exactly for you. And you will only find that out if you fail forward. So that's probably my biggest piece of advice. There's been so many ideas like I have in like my journals all around here. And I just write them down because I know at some point, if I haven't already started it, I'm going to find time to do it. And if it works out great, I can double down on it. If it doesn't, at least I have in my mind, like, all right, I tried it. It, it. it didn't work out, but I know that. And the satisfaction of knowing instead of like wondering and saying, what if, could have, should have, would have, I think that's really important for me. I, I love it. And wow, that is really, I think, important advice, not just for somebody starting out, but you know anybody in their career, whether as an athlete or a professional business person, as it were, in terms of there are no guarantees. You know, we we mm-hmm. start off with a plan. A plan is a hypothesis of if I do this, it's going to lead to that. And as you've highlighted, it doesn't necessarily, but it leads somewhere, and we we learn and grow. And and failing is a necessary part of the journey. Yeah, exactly. No, you're that, exactly right. That is awesome. Well, well, Amobi, thank you so much for sharing your insights here. I got to say, it's it's been an absolute privilege to have you on the show. And I was, say, really curious about how sport and business and leadership overlaps. And, you know, you've just shared some terrific insights about what it is to be a great leader, whether it's in sports or business. So thank you so much for that. 
Nah, thank you for having me. And like always, every time we connect, it's always like I always come away learning more. And, you know, I'm excited to continue building this relationship and excited to be on your podcast. Likewise. And uh, I'm excited about what's ahead for the frugal athlete. And uh, uh, thank you so much. And I'd say to, to listeners, definitely check it out because there's a lot of amazing content out there. I appreciate that for real. To learn more about Amobi and the Frugal Athlete, check out the links in the show notes. To listen to other leaders' stories, go to oyster.team forward slash podcast. You can subscribe to this show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is produced by Emma Holmstrom and is managed by Oyster, the leadership development company. Thanks for listening and leadership is no accident.